Hello. Hey, up. Welcome to Pompity Prompt. <laughs> the game show slash podcast that shines a spotlight on new and existing writers via the medium of chatting, creative prompts, coffee and chaos with me, Letty Butler. And me, Stephen Meller. Or Dave, as we like to call him on this show. Oh yeah, it's me. Here on Property Prompt, we don't just talk about the writer's life, the highs and lows and all the bits in between. No, we don't just promote our guests, their work and unearth their top writing tips. But we challenge them to write live Live. in response to a series of creative prompts. What on earth is a prompt, Dave? A prompt can be anything. Anything from a word, a sentence, a picture, anything that challenges those creative juices and gets them flowing. So the first challenge is a pre-prepared prompt. Our guests get one week to write a 200-word piece, which they will share on the show. Round two is a completely unseen prompt, which they'll hear for the very first time here live on the show. We give them three minutes to craft a response. And last but not least comes the terrifying grand finale, which is basically the same as round two, but with just one minute to come up with the goods. Sounds fun. Oh, that's because it is. You can play along at home and we'll tell you where and when and how during the show. Or maybe you're just listening in for the hell of it, and that's completely fine. Who have we got on this week's show? We've got two stonking guests. Nick Perring is a prize-winning short story writer, author of five books and writer-in-residence, The Sheffield's Year of Reading. We have Genevieve Carver, writer, performer working in poetry, theatre, music and television, hugely successful, performed all over the world, and has a rather interesting band. Great. We'll be talking this week about the power of collaboration, the art of rejection, and wanking in gondolas. But quick heads up, there might be some fruity language in the podcast. So sorry. We're not sorry. Dave. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good morning, Dave. How are you feeling, Letty? I'm really razzed. I'm actually really excited about these two. Yes, yeah, so am I, actually. I'm quite excited. I'm very nervous as well Is today. Is it because you're hosting, Dave? I, partly. This morning when I was getting my coffee from around the corner where we um, record... I walked in and I'm very, very nervous and not just about buying coffee. I'm usually all right buying coffee, but nervous just about today. And they, over the PA, was playing the theme tune to Dirty Dancing. And I thought, that's really made my day. Not that I'm usually listening to Dirty Dancing, but it made my day. And it just made me think that if either of these two marvellous guests, or indeed yourself, Letty, today, write something that knocks my socks off, I'm going to lift them above my head, right like they did in the film so there well, you go well that's enough folks. to put everybody off isn't it I don't it? know if I'm going to write anything <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be in the corner carrying watermelon yes yeah. so there you have it I'm, I'm so so that's kind of changed my mood for today from being very nervous to being very excited it is a low roof <laughs> I was going to say Dave you know if you do put your hands above your head you can probably touch the ceiling anyway so where does that leave us uh, with a headache, probably later yeah, on. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, with 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 as a, a repair bill or something like right, that. Anyway, moving on. Our guests. Thank you. We have got the magnificent Jevy Carver in the room today, and before you applaud, the amazing Nick Perring. So I think now we give our guest a round of applause. I think um, these two are probably the most eclectic in terms of how many different things they actually do between them. I think they've covered all bases in terms of what a writer could possibly do. I think, yeah, it makes it very difficult to know where to start with the questions and what we're going to talk about. So I would like to start with a quite serious question in the sense that what comes across from these two wonderful people is a massive sense of empowerment and being empowered and empowering. Because when I look through the, uh, the history of you both, 
the sense of collaboration that you have with other writers or other performers, other creatives, comes across as being something, well, it's inspiring. Do you ever, you, Jerry's looking at me like as if to go, I have no idea what he's talking about at this moment in time. I've got some, I've either got it very wrong or... You, I was just looking at you to figure out if that was a question or a statement. Yeah, what's the actual question? <laughs> Talk to me about empowering and being empowered and empowerment. I think any art, by its very nature, to start off sounding really pompous then, it's always a collaboration, isn't it? So like when you put together a story or a book or something like that, it's never just you. So writing starts as this really kind of solitary process where it's just you and you your laptop or your tablet or your, your notebook scribbling things down or wandering around looking kind of confused which I'm really good at I've perfected that um over recent years but once you get outside of that I was talking to Letty before we were having a coffee weren't we about the idea of that first draft you're writing for yourself you're telling yourself a story and you're entertaining yourself enough to carry on once you get past that and I do think this is one of the big differences between doing it for fun and as a hobby which there's nothing wrong with that's great I think more people should you know do it for fun because it should be fun creating things and making art but you kind of finish that and then you turn that spotlight from yourself onto an audience and you think well actually what do I need to do in order to make this fit for human consumption so I think the idea of collaboration between yourself as a creator and the audience who are hopefully going to get to feel something because again i think that's the point of art is to make somebody feel um whatever that is i don't think it matters it could be feel terrified could be feel you know that the seen the most hilarious thing they've ever seen in their life is a massive massively fundamental part of it and then as an extension of that i think it's really cool to to work with people so like the, the idea of putting a book together you know it's not just you you work with an editor cover designer typesetter proofreader there's marketing departments you know there's all these brilliant people that come together with their own skills that will help for the benefit of this one entity um but the bit that i love and this extends into teaching because I do a lot of that, is seeing your idea of something change slightly with somebody else's input. So, I mean, I always tell stories of book covers. Whenever I had a book out, the publisher will say, what do you fancy? You know, what do you want to, to have on your, on your cover? And I'll tell them, and then they'll say, right, shut up now. Let's do our job. And they'll come back with something totally different that's 10 times better because somebody else has put their own slant on it. Uh, and again, you know, that idea of collaboration, I love working with people. I get more excited when I'm doing something with somebody than doing it on my own. And, and I love, you know, that kind of interaction. And my favorite bit of the job has been for the past few years going into different places, be that schools, colleges. I do an awful lot of work with Hive, uh, which is based here in Sheffield with 14 to 30 year olds and having a room for other people, giving them an idea of what to write about, asking to write something and seeing if there's 30 people in a room, 30 different ideas. I think it's a real kind of joy and a privilege to get to see and hear what other people feel. It's a really, really cool thing. That's very much a theme, though, between the the two of you in the sense that you've also done an awful lot of that in your time, Jerry, haven't you? Yeah, I totally agree. I think the point when I started to take my writing more seriously and also the point when it stopped being terrible (laughs) was when I found a community. It was really when I moved to Sheffield and started 
doing poetry in a way that was in front of a live audience and I knew other people who were writing as well. I was talking to them about the process. I was constantly, like you say, making that next step of testing the material in front of people and getting that feedback and kind of thinking, okay, how do I move on from here? So I think, yeah, I do think it's a bit of a myth that any writer really operates in total isolation, even if that early stage might be like that. How do you find it then? Because you're performing the show if you like the, the beautiful way to be crazy that you've taken out and all around it feels like it feels like all around the country I mean I was lucky enough to see it here in Sheffield is it it feels very much your words but then all the you've got the whole band the, the music side of everything how did that come about then? working with the band was brilliant and that was the second show that we did together but after doing a lot of performance as a solo you know artist on my own and starting to work with three musicians was just really joyful like creatively because they're bringing a whole nother way of storytelling and way of communicating messages to the audience so you can do really fun things like have the words be really miserable and the music be like (laughs) you know you can mess with people in that way or you can highlight certain things you know there's two different art forms working there together to communicate things to an audience which is creatively really inspiring but also just the kind of day-to-day of like going on tour and booking gigs and getting a review that's good or getting a review that's bad and like having you know having people that are doing that with you like it really is kind of like having a little family and we had to make some quite difficult decisions with that last show about you know we rewrote it a couple of times because it wasn't working and we had to sit down and be really honest with each other and it's I feel like it's kind of like being in a relationship when you're working that closely with people but it you know there's that support there as well and I guess support when you don't have a great review is kind of really really useful because I always my kind of default on that is if somebody doesn't like my work that's fine because I've not written it for them which is kind of a bit of a stubborn kind of way of protecting yourself I guess but having somebody along there with you or a bunch of people you kind of spread that awkward feeling is that is that right yeah definitely and I think it's fair to say that in the band I was probably the most affected by rejection I think because it's it was my project and I'd sort of brought them in yeah to to sort of help me with it like they they were working just as hard as me but it was kind of my baby I suppose so it felt like they had a little bit more you know they were able to be a little bit more detached and a bit more realistic and kind of take away some of that you know, I was taking everything like super personally. <laughs> and they'd Absolutely. be like, well, look at this evidence to, to the contrary. Like, oh, yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> Nick and I were having a, a, a bit of a chat about feedback and like the importance of sharing your work at various stages in order to grow and, and nurture yourself as a writer and, and improve. You know, anyone got any thoughts or tips for how to take on board feedback and use it in a positive way that isn't self-destructive or kind of leads you on a big path of sort of self-pity and flagellation I think my biggest tip is just give it a little bit of time to settle which maybe doesn't help you in the immediate that gut reaction that you might feel but I'm terrible for that and you know my immediate reaction is to often be like oh my god I can't believe they said that my work is terrible and I'll never write anything again but like (laughs) usually after about a week I go 
oh, they actually had a really good point. And now, now I can figure out how to, you know, do something positive from this. So I don't know if that's good advice, but I think it's very good advice. Yeah, yeah. I think the 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 biggest lesson I learned with that is that your work is not you. And if somebody doesn't like your work, that's fine. You know, they're not saying you are a bad person. You've got a horrible soul. They're just saying that's not for me. And I say an awful lot when I'm teaching the idea that you don't like everything. In art, everything is subjective from an editor's point of view, from a director's producer's point of view to the kind of reader or, or whatever it is. And sometimes they've got a point, you know, sometimes got a point that you might have missed in the creating of something that you have got it slightly wrong. Uh, it's never your intentions to get it wrong. But yeah, I think that that idea of separating yourself from your work, well, it's still got your name on it, so it's still massively important. You've still put hours, days, weeks, months into producing this thing. So, you you know, you love it. It is like having a child in, a, in, a, in some sort of way. But, you know, it's all right if people don't like it. I think there's a difference as well between someone saying they don't like it and someone offering constructive feedback. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which... It, you know, there's a very different thing there that that should, if it's, I think it's a, the way it's put across as well. Some people are really good at giving feedback and they can do it in a way that makes you still feel like you're going in the right direction, but these are the steps that are going to help you. So on that point, what's been the worst rejection then you've had? How long have we got? <laughs> in a nutshell. Are we talking I had, writing? Writing, right. only writing. I had, there's two that come to mind. There's a really great one. I had... I wrote a screenplay years and years ago. This is before my any of my books had come out, so it was pre-2005 or something. And I sent it to Carlton, if anybody remembers Carlton. Yes, they liked Carlton it. TV. They liked it. They didn't do anything with it. In the end, that, that was fine. I sent it to the BBC as well, and I got a really pithy uh, rejection, basically. So I don't think they even said, thanks for sending your work. They just said, um, we acknowledge receipt. Um, <laughs> it's not for you, so we won't be pursuing work with you. Oh, it's not of use. It's not of use, and we won't won't be pursuing any work with you. Full stop. Is that ever? (laughs) Is it that bad? They didn't mean it like that, and I've I've done work with the BBC afterwards. Thank goodness. You know, do do you ever take that back into the BBC whenever you work? No, I think it's best. It's best not reminding them because I still (laughs) might want to do stuff. Um, But that you know that was that hurt at the time. That that kind of rejection. But also with that, when you're sending stuff off to production companies or, or publishers it's a nice badge of honor to get a response to actually realize that yeah. you are participating in that world but my favorite one ever 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 was not so perfect which is my second book it's a collection of really short stories and i like that i like that book i'm really proud of it and there was a good reader's review of it that said um i can't remember the, the exact words but it's something along the lines of it you know Nick Paring sounds like a, I don't know, a miserable teenager writing in his bedroom. And even his photo on the back makes me think that as well. I thought, you don't like my work because of my oh. picture. There's nothing I can do about my face. I apologise. I've cut that my is, hair That since. is below the, below the that's bar, isn't it? It is, but you know what? That's, that's fine. And I, I didn't take that personally. I can still laugh about that now. But when you're dealing with that, the, the thing with writing and art is that nobody asked you to write that book. Nobody asked you to write that play. So, I mean, they bought the book, so that's fine. That means that I got Tick. my sale ticked off. Yeah. And if they didn't like it, that's that's all right, really. But everyone, they, you know, people have a right not to like stuff. And, you know, if somebody doesn't like the way that I looked 10 years ago, whenever it was, then... <laughs> They can, that's, they can that's bollocks, <laughs> yeah, so if anyone here is thinking about leaving a Goodreads review and commenting on an author's picture, possibly, yeah, probably rethink that, okay? 
And yourself, Jerry? Oh, God. I think, I don't even know if this counts as a rejection, but I think it's the one that springs to mind that hurt me the most, which was when we were at Edinburgh Fringe in 2019. And we had a pretty tough run. Like, it's quite a stressful thing to do, you know, doing the show every day and then also trying to get audiences in, you know, such a hustle. Um, and we got this, re- oh, we did a gig where everything blew up in the middle of the gig, like all the speakers and stuff. And I had to do a bit of like acapella kind of covering while like everyone scrambled around trying to get all the musical equipment back on, which was stressful enough in itself. And like my boyfriend's parents were there who I'd never met before the whole thing. Oh and it was God. the one night that all the reviewers were in. So it was just like, anyway, it was really stressful. And we got this review and it wasn't like... It wasn't a bad review. It was like a three-star review. And it just kind of was like, uh, you know. And it said that I was unashamedly feminist, which really upset me because mm. it made me feel like that should be something I'm ashamed of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just it was what just like weird... the straw that broke the camel's back. And it, you know, and I just thought, why even is... Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I was like, why is a man even writing a review of a show about women in music? Like, <laughs> just the whole thing annoyed me. Yeah. And it was just the last door. And I just comp- And I think it was because I had to go back on stage again the next day, you know? Like, and you, I just was like, and it was quite a personal show. So it completely broke me. Yeah, I remember those those types of reviews from my from my Edinburgh days. Well. And just that, it's like you're stuck in this endless nightmare of like, you know, people have read this and they're still coming and I've got to do something. Oh, God, how can I possibly hand out a flyer after that review? Yeah, and the reviews are so important as well. Like that was kind of our chance to like have something to get more people in. Like it's such a, you know, and I don't think these people that are writing these reviews have necessarily an idea of how much responsibility they can. And don't mean everyone should always write a good review, but I think there's a lot of, like, young students that are getting into the review game because they think they're clever. And, Absolutely, like, yeah. They, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just... guess that's an empowering thing for them, isn't it, to be able to, to put their power. opinions over there. Are you glad <laughs> that review happened? Uh, no. No. Okay, okay good. Good. Okay, good. That Do you think, as an extension <laughs> of that, when we learn to write, we all go through a stage of either like copying people that we really, really loved or trying to mimic or kind of using those cliche lines and stuff like that. And I think you do find that in reviews a little bit, probably people at the beginning of their career. And the difference with that is it's a lot more seen, you know, it's 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 published, isn't it? Or it's on a website. And I just wonder whether if the review is a little bit more nuanced and if that was delivered in a slightly different way, whether you would have taken that slightly differently I'm not trying to say that the reviewer was lazy, uh, but perhaps if you're saying that they were kind of at the start of their writing journey, that perhaps that was something they might have learned from. Is this a bit, I mean, this leads me in my thinking anyway, through to to what you both do. You work with young people. You work with um, emerging writers in that sense. So have you taken, you must have had to critique, if you like, or review other people's work in that sense. Yeah. Do you always, and I suppose, have you ever turned around to somebody and looked at the work and thought, I really need to say to this person, just don't, in that (laughs) that way? Or My job, I mean, I edit as well. And I think my job as an editor or an educator or mentor, whatever you want to call me, is to make suggestions 
and they're only my suggestions and they're only my opinions. And if I think a story needs looking at, then I'll say that, you know, and I will give suggestions as to how somebody can change that. If it's a line of dialogue or if it's a particular description or something like that, I might say, how about something like this? What that means is that I'm not telling you what to write because that's not my my job. It's your story or your poem or whatever. I'm giving you the option to say, I don't think this is working. How would you fix that? And I think I've, I've never discouraged anybody and I'd never tell anybody to give up because, again, it depends what people want to want to get out of that thing that they're writing. If they are going to, I mean, we've been really, really lucky when I, I think about the Hive South Yorkshire stuff that I've done and we've had loads of winners of like really important national competitions. We've had a BBC and Writer of the Can Year. And tell tell people listening a, a bit about Hive. So we've... Well, but the Hive's been going for six or seven years now and we offer writing opportunities for young people from 14 upwards so there's regular writing groups in Sheffield, Doncaster, Rotherham, Barnsley there's full writers days where you get to spend a day with an expert in the field there's competitions anthologies keep keep a lookout I mean go on the website or, or find me it's www.hivesouthyorkshire.com but as I say you know we've had we've been really lucky in that some of the young people have won some you know big awards a couple have books published, you know, poetry collections this year as a result of stuff. So if you're going for that, then you can be a little bit more critical. And, you know, I, I would say to people, whatever we're doing, we're doing for the benefit of the poem or the story or whatever it is that, that we're working on. So I think that the whole point of working with not necessarily young people, but if you're in a position where you, you're delivering some sort of sessions or workshops or mentoring or you're showing people how it's done is to be encouraging because writers run on confidence and I think anybody does you know if you feel that you're good at something or somebody has said that's really good or I really like what you do you you grow a little bit you stand an inch or two taller and whatever you write or I don't know whatever ball you kick next or whatever gymnastic things you do you will do a greater confidence which means that you will sound or appear more confident and that is absolutely reflected in the work that you produce yeah, I I agree. I don't think it's rocket science, like how to give feedback in a constructive way. I did a work a uh, series of workshops a couple of years ago through Grimm and Co, another organisation based in Rotherham that promotes writing in in young people. And um, I went into primary schools and was doing loads of spoken word workshops. But part of the workshop was like to encourage the children to feedback on each other's performances and each other's poems. And so part of those workshops was saying, this is how you give constructive feedback. You say something nice (laughs) and then you and that's kind of saying, I like this. I'm on board with this. I want to collaborate with you on the next stage. So you say, this is what I like about it. And this is my suggestion for how we make Make it even even better better. yeah Yeah. and and they get that you know most of the kids who are eight years old they get that which is why it really annoys me when somebody does it badly because it's like come on how hard can it possibly be so working with the children as you and young adults as you have or you do does that remind you of where it all began for yourselves no no okay (laughs) i think that's a no That, that, that's, no, that's, I'm that's shut that one down, is it? Well, I'm going to stick with that. I don't care. I, I agree with you. I, I want to know why. Yeah. Well, I didn't really, I never did anything like this when I was a child. I mean, I did. I wrote poems like sort of in my bedroom from when I was quite young, but I never really, um, I'd say, I'd probably go as far as to say it was kind of discouraged at school mm. because that's not the way to get good grades. Yeah. Um, I distinctly remember in my English A level, they said, oh, you can do 
creative writing or you can do literature for your coursework, but no one gets a good grade in creative writing, so we're all going to do literature. And so I didn't, you know, I don't feel like I really did anything, like went to a workshop or, and I, and I did, I started really my journey on, you know, taking my writing more seriously, doing spoken word, open mics and stuff when I moved to Sheffield. And I think I was about 25, 26 before I really started to do that. Why did you start at that point, if you sort of, not, not why, why leave it so long, but, but what? What was the catalyst? Yes. Well, I moved to Sheffield to, to do a master's in archaeology, which is what I was doing at the time. That's right <laughs> and, on um, street there, isn't it, Dave? I I'm, love the sound of that. Go yeah, I, I worked as an archaeologist as well for about five years after I finished that. But um, I moved to Callum Island into a flat next door to the Riverside pub. And the Riverside used to have a really good scene for yeah. live music mm. and open mics. And it had a spoken word thing which was run by joe chris from word life yes um and i just remember meeting all these people that were doing poetry in the pub next to my house and i was like i do poetry but i didn't ever think i could tell anybody that you know i didn't think it was something you could do in public um and just yeah just kind of through making those connections and seeing it seeing this community this really vibrant community of people that were writing and performing and I guess I spent so much time in that pub that I eventually got convinced to stand up behind the microphone. <laughs> yeah. And what about yourself? Um, I start, I'd always love poems and stories from doing... There was a point at high school where I didn't really get on with school and school didn't really get on with me. Um, and it was mostly school's fault. But I did... Um, school. There was a point where we did the First World War in history and we did the First World War poets in English and it made sense. You had the facts and the history and all that kind of stuff, which is great. And then you had what people thought. And that was it for me. I was, I, I just loved it. I actually wanted to be a singer and a songwriter. And I spent, you know, my, my late teens writing songs in bands and all that kind of stuff. And it was a shame that I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> but I wasn't. And I, I got jobs, worked, I got made redundant. And at that point, I had a little bit of money from a redundancy pound. I thought, I'm going to try this properly. I actually started off writing for newspapers and magazines. I got paid for it. Things got published, which gave me the confidence. And that was like, how old would I have been? I'm 22, something like that. But where I'm from, where I grew up, which isn't Sheffield, it's Macclesfield way. Yeah. Uh, but it, Macclesfield at one point was officially the least cultured town in the whole of the UK. We didn't even have a cinema there. You know, it was, it was bad. So I never had anybody to look up to who'd made that step or that taken that journey. There was certainly no provision, you know, for, for working with a, an actual poet or an actual writer. So I spent a lot of time getting things wrong because I was doing things on my own and trying to suss it out. And I didn't go to uni. I didn't do anything like that. Um, so my my kind of introduction to it was was totally, totally different. And I know I was saying this to somebody only a couple of days ago, that if I was writing what I see young people at 14, 15 years old, writing when I was 24, 25, I'd have been thrilled. And I think the quality of writing, and I think that's got a lot to do with the access to information. And I think art is easier to consume now because there's the internet, you know, there's, there's Insta, there's Twitter, all these things where people actually have the opportunity to just go online and find stuff or go and watch somebody, you know, performing some a piece of spoken word or whatever on YouTube and then finding somebody else through that. 
I think that process is speeded up. When I did that through writing or through music even, you would buy a record or you you buy a book and you're kind of taking a bit of a gamble because it looked all right and the first page was great, the cover was amazing or whatever. You take a punt on it and if you like it, then you have to, you know, see what else this person's written. Now, young people have got the opportunity to, to... to just go on type spoken word and get it for free, get it instantly. You don't have to go looking for it. And then you go down that beautiful, often unhelpful YouTube rabbit hole of finding other people. So I think that they're they're exposed to a lot more. And there's a lot more kind of provision as well around that. I think there's, there's kind of funding opportunities for people like Hive, like Grim or, or whoever, to put people like us in front of people mm-hmm. and kind of go, look, we're writers. We do it professionally. We're not weird. <laughs> Say that. We're not that weird. You know, we're not massively <laughs> weird, wizardy <laughs> yeah. academics, you know, with sleeves down to our knees. We're actually pretty normal. And you do not have to be special to be a writer. Everybody's special in their, their own way, I think. But, you know, you do not have, there's not a, a specific thing that you have to know to get into that club. You both write, well, you, you've written for children. Yeah. I know, Jerry, you're, you are now writing for children. Do you therefore feel a sense of responsibility in that when you're putting that story together because it is for children? Is it different to when you write for yourselves or your other stories? There's less sex in the children's stuff. <laughs> Apart from less sex for having in. <laughs> I think you've always got a responsibility to your audience. And like we said at the beginning, like I don't think you're ever just writing for yourself apart from in those very early stages when it doesn't matter. So I think your responsibilities are just different. But I'm always going to be, I'm always going to care about how I'm making that audience feel and the messages that I'm putting across. Because mm. that's why that to me is an interesting segue in many ways. Because you know, I once read that it, it was the, if you like, the writer's duty to say the things that the audience wouldn't necessarily think in the first instance. So we, if we have got the courage to go beyond, if you like, norms. That's that's part of our role in life. How do you feel to that then with, with what you've just said about the, the responsibility? Um, I guess I don't mean that I'm like pussyfooting around and not making anybody want to feel uncomfortable. I'm just saying I'm, I'm invested ah. in a way that means I have a responsibility towards that audience. Like even on a, like a level where I'm not going to like start one storyline and then just abandon it and do you know what I mean like yeah, it's yeah. like that investment in the audience and yeah totally I think you can push boundaries and make people I mean it doesn't every writer want to do that make people think new things and you can do that with children but there's also an element of like if you want your book to be published and you're writing for eight-year-olds you can't fill it full of swear words because mm. no one's going to publish that you know if you're writing for 13 year olds maybe you can but you've got to kind of play within the rules I think if you're operating in a in a public sphere but I don't think that means there needs to be any uh, limitations on the themes even and topics that you can cover that's interesting I think the best books are books that everybody can enjoy as well you know those I always go back to Philip Pullman and his dark materials and I think you've got such an incredibly clever and brilliant story going on which takes bits from paradise lost you know like Milton's thing from god knows how many years ago centuries ago about you know, good versus evil and somebody getting kicked out of heaven, put in a way that an eight-year-old can enjoy and a 40-year-old could enjoy and a 60-year-old could enjoy. I think that's kind of the trick, isn't it? Yeah, I really enjoy that challenge. I think it maybe comes from 
being a poet where you have to try and be as concise as possible and yeah. make every mm. word, you know, work really hard and like not have any fluff. I think that was part of the draw of children's writing for me. It's like, I want to write something that can be understood in really simple, clear terms, but it's also you know, in an ideal world, beautiful and interesting and profound and all these other things. But like to distill it down in that way, I think is a really kind of weirdly fun challenge. It is. Yeah, it's a bit like a sort of cryptic crossword in a, in a strange way. But obviously nothing like that also. <laughs> it's always about like making a jigsaw when you don't know what the, the picture is. Lovely. That's better. That's better. Yeah. Uh, Peter, can you edit out that, <laughs> that, like that. that bollocks? No, 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 I, just, I, just, I like that as well. All right, fine. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I look at... You, you're sort of getting onto trends in literature as well, and I think the best stuff is the stuff that, without, you know, sounding too profound myself or pompous, that, like, I think the best stuff does its own thing, and it might, you know, put a different perspective on something or give somebody the opportunity to question some norms, but it doesn't do it in a way that's preaching. It doesn't do it in a way that's particularly obvious. It just is. And when you finish that, you are somehow changed. And I think there's definitely a, dis a distinction between that. And I don't, I don't think every writer will do that with every book. You know, if you're lucky, you might get one of those, especially kids stuff. When you write in stuff for young people... It's the weirdest thing because when you talk about audiences, there's different layers you have to go through. If you're writing for a, a six-year-old, you're not actually writing for a six-year-old. You're writing for somebody who is an adult, who might be an agent, who might be a publisher, whose job is to answer to a marketing department or somebody that sells it into Waterstones or the supermarkets or whatever, who sells it to a grandparent or a parent or an uncle or an auntie who buys it for that six-year-old. So I think it's a really interesting the thing where you're kind of questioning not your own motivation because you the motivation to tell your story should be enough to tell the story well but there's definitely an extra layer in my opinion of audience that needs considering which is part of being professional i think you know that it isn't just a case of writing a book that you think's fun you what know if you don't know who your audience is then what if you think i've got this really great idea but i couldn't hone it down into a demographic so i'm not quite sure what it is yet trust it trust that idea it will become whatever it's supposed to be. And then it's your job once it's done to find out where that sits. And that's what I mean, because the best stuff is different. You know, the, the stuff that really changed literature or the ones that keep cropping up on the you know best books ever lists aren't the ones that, well, it's a bit like Harry Potter or it's a bit like Dracula, it's another vampire or whatever. It's that one that goes against the grain. If you like it, other people like it as well. I think that's that's my my mantra. And to not worry about that too much when you're creating it. Is that, that first? I think at the beginning, interesting yeah, about definitely. The I think if you get to your final, final draft and you're like, I don't think there's an audience for this, maybe that's the time to question. <laughs> but like, yeah. if at the beginning you don't know where you're going with it and you don't know your audiences, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's fine. You'll find what it is and who it's for. You will, and that demographic thing is only really useful in terms of where you put a book on a bookshelf. And if you've got, you know, the best book ever that, I don't know, publisher thinks will sell lots of copies, they will find a way, you yeah. know, saying it's a cross between, it's Hemingway on acid or it's Tolstoy crushed with, oh, I don't know, Margaret Atwood. You know, they'll, they'll find a way to, to get people interested in it. Right. It's prompt time. Oh, God. Where are today's prompts from, Dave? I've taken inspiration from other places that put out prompts. And I will put them in the show notes. I've just got to try and remember where they're from. Because, so um, professional. Yes, yes. I know if Letty was doing this bit, she'd have it 
exactly where she got them from, etc. But I've been a little bit, um, what's the word? Crap. Crap, yes. Crap. (laughs) Just simply, I don't mind admitting it. Um, But it's also fair to say, our two wonderful guests have just confessed to this next stage is somewhat filling them with dread, I think is fair to say. And it's made me a little bit concerned because one, you know, you guys right and i i'm meant to respond in some shape or form which after the discussions earlier on about oh, yeah. uh, critiques and all the rest of it is actually it's filling me with dread i'd like it to be the other <laughs> way around right now okay. i really don't so want to but 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 Good. we can't do it the other way around because i've got the prompts um so it's a little bit unfair like no, no 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 I, I i've done this last week last time we did it so it's my turn to to inflict this upon you all but also on top of that with with the being full of dread i'm a little bit worried now about the three minute round which i know is is not yet because the three minute round i think is particularly um tricky especially this week so anyway <laughs> moving on <laughs> Well, that's filled us all with that. I'm going to say, I feel much more relaxed now. Excellent. Now we've built up that tension, we're going to go straight into the scene prompt. This is the one that you've all seen. What what was it again, folks? Can you remember? Imagine's crossing to the other side or something, was it? What is it, Dave? I don't know because I'm. Dave, you're the host. uh, He, she tries to imagine crossing over. That's That's the one. Correct. Thank you very much. He or she tries imagining crossing over or something of that nature. I did send them out. She tries to imagine crossing over. There you go. Thank you, Letty. So that's the the scene prompt, and we get 200 words uh, to respond to that. Right. Who's going to go first? And everybody's just pointed at Letty. That's brilliant. I love that. So, Letty, you're going first. Yeah, so I I was inspired by these two because both of them are exceptionally good at creating titles for their work. Yes, they are. Um, I tried to create a title for this, and I couldn't decide. So... The title is Thoughts from the Floor or The Baker. Is that acceptable? It's <laughs> no. acceptable to have two titles. I, I think that's... Okay. Just might call it the two-titled piece. Okay. He lies on the floor of the bakery. When he tilts his head sideways, he can see the filth party underneath the oven. Calcified scones, plum stones, crumbs. Right at the back, where raisins dangle in cobwebs, a mouse has made a house in the wires of his whisk. He looks up at the strip lights on the ceiling. When he blinks, they reappear on the back of his eyelids and he tries to imagine crossing over. What it might feel like to be surrounded by all the frightening things. There are so many. Sometimes he lists them at night in alphabetical order. A is for asphyxiation. B is for birds and beards. C is for cancer, which he knows is obvious but still. D is for dying without telling her. E is for elephantitis. An F is for forgetting. G is for... For what? God, he supposes. It's possible. It is possible. If he were to cross over, to slide his body slightly to the right, open the oven door, and quietly place his head inside, he'd know. And while K stands for knowing, U stands for unknowing, and he knows which one he'd rather know. Better the devil. That's what they say. But what do they know? Oh, my word. The end. That, that's amazing. I love that. I feel sad now. Oh, no. <laughs> that's good. It it's works. Better to feel something, yeah. isn't it? Oh, good, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Although I wouldn't like to buy anything from that baker shop. I agree. He's really not really kept A mouse in scratch. the whisk and the... 
you know, the dangling the raisins, raisins the raisins and yes. the coppers. It's yeah. beautiful imagery. Yeah. I love it. Thanks, everyone. Good, nice feedback. Well, Good off, feedback, everyone. Off to a great start. Who's next? <laughs> Who's going to get pointed at next? All right. Go on, Nick. So um, the prompt was he slash she tries to imagine crossing over. He, she tries to imagine crossing over. They all do when they get here. They all do in the end. And the end, when they reach it, is never the place they imagined. People assume the crossing means leaving things behind. But when they get to the river, when the ferryman smiles and holds out his hand for his coin, you don't have your back to love. Everything is in front of you. Laid out in that feel like it's a festival. You get to choose the weather. I'm pleased you chose autumn. And when you see it, you get it. Everything you've ever been is who you are. And everything you've been scared to leave is right there for you. Here's the secret. The past, your past, is always in front of you. Now, go and tell them all when I send you back. What was that line about um, love? You know, it not turned your back on love. Yeah, you don't have your back to love. To love. Yeah, that's great, love isn't that. it? That was beautiful. And Thank also, you. the way and you you often do this, like the way that you you just flip it all in a in a, in a final line, like I, that. Suddenly, we realise who the narrator is just in that final line, yeah. and it completely reframes. The whole piece. Thanks. I think that's the point about finishing stuff because you don't know what it is until you've finished it. Yeah. And once you know the answer to your question, you know, that you posed when you started to write it, then you can go back and go, like, I can sow seeds in there to, mm. to kind of foreshadow and, and make sense of it. So that's, that's good. I enjoyed writing that. I, I did. It's been a while since I've written anything so short, but I, I thought it was cool. Yeah. Brilliant. It's it time, Jimmy. Okay. So my piece does have a title, and the title is taken from a painting by Roy Lichtenstein, which is the title of his painting, and it's called I Don't Care, I'd Rather Sink Than Call Brad for Help. Oh, lovely. I don't care, I'd rather sink than call Brad for help, is what the drowning girl is thinking in the Roy Lichtenstein painting, which he copied from a comic book to create what the critics called a masterpiece of melodrama, with neat blue dots and giant tears spilling into the whirlpool. My dad had a print, which he gave to me because my mother wouldn't have it in the house. The critics called the painting one of Lichtenstein's post-coital perdition pieces, which means the drowning girl has to suffer forever because she had sex. The critics say her open mouth is a vagina and the tears are semen. Despite all this, I have the picture hanging on my landing. I like to think she's not really drowning, and that's not really what she's thinking. She's imagining herself crossing the ocean to some other reality, where she doesn't have to suffer forever, and Brad's help is not required, and the critics don't say anything at all. Oh, Jerry, what a total smash. Also ties in extremely nicely with the conversation we were we having just, earlier. I just realised that. And also I made an error there because that's not the title of the picture. That's what it says in the speech bubble in the picture. Uh-huh. The title of the picture is The Drowning Girl. But maybe that's unimportant. Well, I, I'm, uh, I'm pleased um, for the clarification, but I do like this as a title. Yes. Very much. And I need to go and look that picture up. Yeah, I do too. So, <coughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're now onto the, the, the first unseen prompt. So for everybody listening at home, if you want to take part, this is where you need to, um, once you hear the prompt, 
stop how you're listening to this and set a time for three minutes and don't cheat and and write along with us and then once you've done your three minutes press play again and we'll see how everybody's done so now what i like to do on this is to just prove to everybody that this really is truly unseen i have got four prompts behind my hands here mm-hmm. that people obviously on at home can't see but the four prompts numbered unsurprisingly one two three four who would like to choose a number peter oh yeah peter in the sound booth give us a number peter's gone for number two. Oh god and you, on the way out, you can punch him for this one. Oh, no. Are you ready? Because you're three, you've got three words. Mm-hmm. And you have to use the three words oh, in some shape or form in whatever you write. Okay. Are you ready for your three words? Chaos, attic, and the quite obvious gondola. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've got chaos, attic, gondola, and oh. you have three minutes starting... Now. Uh, Letty, stop. So I'm just correcting a word. Ah, uh, no, not allowed. Right. How was that, folks? Pressure. Shocking. Pressure. I, I have to. I love. I love the different styles. They 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 scribble like like crazy. To, you know. I thought you were going to go through the desk at one point there, Jerry. You were like, scribble, 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 scribble. And and Nick, you're quite serene. I think in all. Was I? Described as serene. Before. Letty was just kept giving me dirty looks. So, um, okay. Chaos Attic Gondola. Before we do the, do you want to know what the other choices were? Or do you just oh, wanna... Look at what we could have won. Yes, Go on. Please. All right. Number one was Courage, Necklace and Bridge. Uh, number three was Love, Onion and Prevail. Sounds uh, like a slogan, doesn't it? Love, Onion Prevail. <laughs> I love it. On big letters <laughs> on the white shirt. Yeah. <laughs> love, Onion Prevail. Uh, and the final one is Envy, Broom and Lion. As it is, you got. I mean, I quite liked ours, really. But, chaos. I mean, you, you don't really know, oh, do you? Until until you get it. It was the gondola, which I thought I, when I when I was pulling these together. You read that out with such relish. Gondola. gondola. I thought, oh, please have number two. Please have number two. It wasn't staged that we were going to have number two, but I'm so glad you got number two because I really want to see what everybody did with gondola. Who's going to go first this time? Who's getting the fingers pointed at them? Yeah, I went Um Okay. In the car, we play a game called My Grandmother's Attic. You have to take it in turns to list items in your grandmother's attic, each person remembering all the items that came before so the list gets longer and longer. In my grandmother's attic, I found a teaspoon, a broken microwave, a teddy bear, the complete works of Shakespeare, and a gondola, I shout. (laughs) It's chaos in the back seat. You forgot wine bottle, shouts my brother. I stare at the middle seat, where my other brother used to sit, now empty but not forgotten. Oh. oh. Clever new technique for the three-minute <laughs> round. The, the list of things you find in an attic. It's <laughs> a bit of a cheat, really, wasn't Brilliant. it? Brilliant. <laughs> See, I usually go with Chaos Attic Gondola was the name of my first band. <laughs> yeah, that is what you tend to do. I have done that an awful lot of things like this. That was brilliant. Thank you very I much. Love I love yeah, the ending. I know, yeah. that lovely twist. That... Comes out of nowhere. I like that. Right. Nick, go on. Okay, again, this depends on whether or not I can read. 
I can read. I mean, read my own writing. <laughs> <laughs> I am proficient at reading. Um, so chaos, attic, gondola. What they won't tell you is that once you're here, you have time. You can't proceed easily until your mind is calm. A happy mind is key. A key. The key. So take your time. Take a breath. This is not chaos. This is you sitting somewhere where your memories can rise up to the surface. Catch them bobbing. Pull them out and file them. Picture yourself in an attic if it helps. Move memories like they're photos. Drag and drop the gondola. The trip to the lakes where the aircon kept you up all night and me. Again. It's so beautiful. It's so meta, that as well. Yes. I really liked the way you were like, I'm going to calm myself down by... <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's right in his therapy, isn't it? Absolutely. You see, see, I would straight away go back to my previous point, which was, Jemmy was writing furiously, almost like making a list. You were sat calm. Not on the inside. Inside, <laughs> I was a storm. <laughs> A petrified storm. And it just comes across in the writing. That's what's superb. I love it. Letty. God. I'm going to lower the tone. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Captain Chaos was in the attic, wanking in the gondola again, despite the fact it was Tuesday and he was supposed to be at the superhero house meeting. But the problem was that he couldn't find another location that worked as well. There was something about the shape of the gondola, the way it cradled his back, and if he closed his eyes, he could smell Venetian lemons in the stagnant attic air. It was quiet in the attic too, especially now she'd died. He would have to do something about the body, though. It would probably start to smell soon and interfere with the lemons. He should find somewhere else for this activity, really. But there was nowhere else. Nowhere else eased the chaos. Ooh. Very good. Very good. Very good. I, I hate this because it, it always, always... I always write something horrible or weird we, we have had sperm <laughs> eye and mucus plug from mucus plug. to be fair was my mouth that was wasn't me yeah, so i yeah. had no excuse i had time to yeah. think about that and it still had semen in feeling it, like i'm not quite cutting the mustard with this there's nothing of mine that's contained any bodily fluid whatsoever you've still got you still bring got on the next prompt <laughs> <laughs> it starts with snot death and wanking excellent yes. masturbation in a gondola um which is illegal, by the way, in Venice. Is it? I, was, have I you, would have hoped so. Know, I've been arrested for it many times. Yeah. Um, okay, brilliant. Right, we now got everybody the one minute. Oh my god! Really? One minute it's only. Not long, is it? That's not long. One minute. Yeah. So again, as we do with the three minute, you can stop it for one minute. Don't cheat, and then come back to us and let's see what we've all got. Your one minute round. Are you ready? What do we need a prompt? Yes, um, I'm going to give you the prompt now. Like ready to start? Don't have the prompt. Oh, you see, you started You're off. Me You've already written down sperm. I can. <laughs> yeah. You started off being really scared, and now you're just desperate for prompts. <laughs> this is how it works. It's you still see, fear. this is how it works. Are you ready? Your prompt is: You stole what? Go. How was that? Awful. I'm really, I'm Absolutely really, I'm shocking. Really, really intrigued because halfway you through bastard, that. You bastard, by the way, Dave. That, that was so hard. I'm, I know you're going to get your, your revenge next time out, which I feel sorry for the next guests. 
I'm really intrigued because Nick kind of like put his pen down after about I I 30 seconds, if if indeed that. And and I, it's almost like the, 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 the really clever kid in the exam Not me. that puts his pen down and just <laughs> goes, hmm. I'm satisfied. Yes. And so. You've just been in the gondola, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So we're going to have to make Nick go first, I think. Okay. I sort of took the the opinion that I sort of said all I needed and if I wanted to say more it would take me longer so I I, I picked a suitable time to pause um, which is a a kind of easy way of saying I gave up (laughs) (laughs) you beat me Um, mine was really slow but I I don't think things need to be particularly long to be good Uh, I've made a a career out of writing really short stuff so that's like me (laughs) so I wrote you stole what you didn't even need my heart my time, I don't even want it back. Oh. You see, you see, this reminds yeah. me of uh, one we had earlier on uh, in the in the series where we got to the one minute and everybody's scribbling away. And I remember being, because I was one of the scribblers, scribbling away and I remember the person next to me did exactly what you did. And yeah, I, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to kill this person after the, <laughs> after the show. They're, never, they're not leaving this place alive. Stunning, stunning. Thank you. Chevy. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to follow that. <laughs> I really Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm not enjoying myself anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> I've just put, you stole what? The crown jewels, a million pound artwork, my heart, my career, my dignity, everything I ever knew and loved, my gondola. <laughs> oh, referencing the previous one as well. Yeah, you that's right up your street. Oh, I love that. I think it's charming. I love it. It means nothing. It's brilliant. <laughs> it means it's you brilliant. really cherish the gondola. <laughs> yes, I love it. Both are, oh, okay. Go on, Letty. T- bring mean, us I, home, I, as they say. I, I do want to die at this point, <laughs> just so you all know. Okay. You stole what? A heart? A biscuit? Well, I don't know. What was there to steal? I don't like this one jot, shouted Marjorie. No one does, replied Ted, as he ate the heart-shaped biscuit. Ooh. No, don't give me any of that. It's shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, 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 in my best critiquing manner. Not my best. <laughs> I really like it, Thanks, and it's Dave. not at all... That was hard. Yes, it was. It, it was very hard. Nick was the only one that cleverly just got rid of that question mark. And then it gently mm. led into something else. But I was so, I thought, well, this is dialogue. And I should, I wanted, I should have thought that. And I remember you saying, actually, in a workshop, when you get, you know, entering uh, writing competitions or there's a theme to something, mm-hmm. make a note of your first instincts, then throw them away Benham. and think outside the box because everybody else That's entering that. We'll have that initial yeah, same set. Where's the time to do that in this conversation? We don't have it. <laughs> what, what is interesting on that, on that, um, which is nice because it makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about, is each one of us mentioned hearts. Yes. yes. So that would be the first thing to go. I yeah, think, and if it you is were, a cliche, isn't it? Total yeah. cliche. Total cliche. And as I was writing it, I was like, I know, I did but, the same. I was like, don't write that, and I did. <laughs> but those are stepping stones to get you to actually yeah. what what you actually want to say. Um, and I get that that's the process of writing, isn't it? You know, you, it's easier to work on something that's in front of you than it is working on something that's just in your head. So if I was to go back to that, if I had like more time, like another minute, if you 
kind enough to give us another minute, no. then then we could <laughs> we can identify those those points that you think actually no that that shouldn't be there. But it has. Thank you for it though. It's got me to where I wanted to to get to. So there's lessons in this. There's definitely diamonds in failure. But all three of us, you know, that the line crossing over because I I was thinking about you when when I was writing it. I was like, Nick's going to bollock me because I'm going to talk about or or reference or kind of touch on death, like crossing over. What else could it mean? Could I just make it like crossing over a road or mm-hmm. or crossing over to something? And I couldn't. I couldn't get away from the from the death situation. It does. It does surprise me on these prompts how many people we've had who, irrespective of the prompt, talk about death in their writing. It's the greatest unknown. awful lot of of the responses has been all of it, has has had that darkness to it. Well, how often do you write about death in your your daily writing practice? I'm writing about ghosts at the minute. Right, (laughs) I I had a whole show about death. I literally dressed up like I was at a funeral. I'm also currently writing about death. So maybe it's just on our minds, Maybe just that's what writers do, isn't it? (laughs) Jevy. I know that your yeah your full name is Genevieve Carver, so anyone looking for you and your work should be googling that. But have either of you got? I know that Nick, you've got some poetry in Sheffield City Centre, mm-hmm. and soon to be massively on the library. And yes. Jevy, I wondered if you also had a live performance coming up that people could potentially come and see, maybe. Um, I don't or have any live they... performances booked in. Stream something. You could stream the the show that I did with a live band, A Beautiful Way to Be Crazy. Um, we filmed it in an empty theatre in Theatre Delhi during lockdown. Um, so it's it's been made into a, a lovely film of the live show and you can watch it on a platform called Scene Saver. Fantastic. We'll put that in the show notes. We will indeed. Brilliant. And uh, your, your stuff, Nick? My stuff? Uh, my stuff? Uh, yes, there are, well, I think some of them are up already. We, um, as part of your reading, we asked the good people of Sheffield to write in and tell us what bits about the city that they kind of love the most. And I put those into a big poem. Um, some of it's on banners outside the Central Library. Some of it's now on lampposts in the city centre on Surrey Street, coming up towards Far Great. But we, I think it went to print either yesterday or the day before. They are putting it on the side of the library, so the whole thing in its entirety will be available um, to see Just for, for miles around. Chaps. How but lovely. It's great. And it's like we were talking about before, the idea of a residency isn't really about us as writers. That's what we can mm. give. And I think it's a really beautiful thing that so many people get to be on there. Even people that wouldn't call themselves poets or writers get to see that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, anything is on my, I'm, a, I'm on all the socials, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, let's just have a little bit of that. So you've got, where, where, will, where will people find you online, Nick? They will find me in all the usual places. I don't really do Twitter these days, but I am on it. Um, Instagram, my website is my name.com, which is N-I-K. P-E-R-R-I-N-G no C in my in my nick and it's always nice to hear from people if anybody has anything they want to say or say hello or say that they didn't like it come along it's it's welcoming uh, yes I have a website it's Genevieve Carver dot com my name isn't Carter despite what everybody thinks and the way I'm introduced on every lineup ever <laughs> no no you didn't don't worry I'm just notifying the general world to that and um, <laughs> my twitter and instagram is at jevy carver g-e-v-i-c-a-r-v-e-r fantastico thank you very much everybody we've had a, a lovely a day. whale of a time well, it's been great thanks for having us you're welcome thank you and that's all folks we'd like to thank our guests nick and jevy and as always hallam university for the studio space 
and Peter at Cornucopia Radio for producing the show. Thank you, Peter. We love you. But most of all, thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you sometime soon. Goodbye. Bye. If you've been playing along at home today, we'd love to see your responses to any of the prompts. And if you're a writer and would like to be on the show, please send us an email at promptyprompt at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at promptyprompt or head to our website, which is www.promptyprompt.com. If you'd like more information on today's guests or a recap of the prompts, head to the show notes where you'll find everything you need to know. Finally, if you've enjoyed Prompty Prompt, and we really hope you have, please share the shit out of it. Tell your chums and tell your mums. And if you could give us a five-star rating so new listeners can find us more easily, that would be amazing. 